And here we are, folks, episode 22 of the Silly Goose Gang podcast. And tonight we're joined by Clint Emerson, a Navy SEAL, the violent nomad, um, owner and operator of Escape the Wolf, and author of 100 Deadly Skills and The Right Kind of Crazy, your autobiography. So, Clint, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Hey, great for hey, I'm glad to be here, especially across, what, a couple of oceans? So that's cool. Yeah. Um, the power of social media. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. For all the for all the bad things, there is some good things about social media. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, it's probably more bad than good, but yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I just want to say that the tone of the podcast early, Clint, and I wonder if you'd indulge me. I was reading your um, I've been reading your book, The Right Kind of Crazy, over the last week or so, which was one of the reasons I reached out to yourself because I thought you seem like an interesting guy. Your book reads beautifully. Uh, I love the fact you left in. The sections that were redacted, like you actually left them in, which I really enjoyed, because obviously, you know every military book's getting redacted, but I love the fact you left the tantalising hints of what had been redacted. But I wonder if you would do us the honour of sharing with myself, Chris, and our listeners, the story of you and Eric when you joined SEAL Team 3 that involved you, Eric, a compromising position, duct tape. Ah, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, you know, in the, in the military, um, I would say as a whole, it used to be tradition that you could haze each other. In the U.S. military, that has unfortunately uh, kind of gone to the wayside. And if it happens, it probably happens without anybody knowing or else, you know, somebody will go get a lawyer and, you know, take you to court these days. But uh, back when back when I was a SEAL, you know. Of course, every story starts that way, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you you either hazed. I think hazing is great, but um, you, it, as long as it's used for two things, right? It's either used for celebration or for correction, right? So celebration is you're a new guy at SEAL Team 3, and your buddies want to welcome you to the group, so they haze you. Another would be you're getting married. You get hazed. It's your birthday. You get hazed. You get divorced. It's your you're getting hazed. Um, so, you know. And then of course there's correction. And correction is a guy's not performing properly, but he's a good guy and he just needs a little bit of a boost, right? So, you haze him. Or let's say even more importantly, he has a safety violation of some sort. You know, so his weapon either kind of got out of control or. He did something dangerous to himself or to others, and then you haze him. And uh, so those are really that's really the only two big times that we would haze each other. But most of the time, it was just for fun, right? So when I checked into SEAL Team Three, we uh, we were out at a shooting school in Memphis, Tennessee, just south, called Shaw's. And uh, you do a lot of CQB and movement through buildings and. Uh, we were new guys, and it's our first trip there. And one night at the end of the day, the new guys are responsible for kind of cleaning everything up and getting everything ready for the next day. And uh, so we, we're inside uh, cleaning our weapons, and all of a sudden it's kind of like eerily quiet and no one else is around. Um, and just as we notice that we're by ourselves, uh, the rest of the platoon comes rolling in they got their ninja hoods on, they got their flight suits on, and they just swarm us. And uh, before you know it, 
were stripped down butt naked, and it's December in Tennessee. So, and hazing always includes getting naked, right? I mean, there's just something about stripping somebody down to nothing and then uh, exposing all their parts and then having fun with all their parts in ways that they don't like, really. It's, there's nothing, uh, you know, attractive or gay about it. 100% sinister. Um, and so, anyway, before you know it, we're stripped down butt naked and taped into the 69 position, right? So now my face is in his ass and his balls and everything right here, okay? And then my ball, my ass are in his face. So we're both taped like this. And uh, we have this device called the mini blasting machine. Okay, and the mini blasting machine is something you want. It has it's like a hand crank, um, uh, non well, it's a, it's a hand cranked electrical detonator, right? So you you, you basically you, you you squeeze it almost like those hand exercise little things mm. that you used to have in the eighties and the Jane Fonda days, right? Yeah, and it's got wires coming from it. It generates electricity, so it, it, you can hear it wind up. It's like, zzz, 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 and then eventually it releases the electricity down the wires and makes things explode, right? So anyway, this thing, uh, they taped the leads right where your ass cheeks meet your taint, right? <laughs> so they got a lead and a lead, and then they do the same on him, right? And uh, so then the guys just had fun winding these things up, and then it would shock, and it would just squeeze my face <laughs> while we're, uh, you know, obviously being zapped with, I don't know how many, I mean, it's it's like a taser kind of zap, right? So make sure makes your ass cheeks and your glutes and everything flex, and uh, it, it basically, like, sucked our faces deeper into our buddy's ass, right? So we're both just getting slowly sucked in. Uh, and then they would, you know, they did some other comical things. Uh, the scary part of the whole thing was all this took place. It's probably like 30 degrees outside. Um, and then, and that's Fahrenheit. And so then the, and we're right next to a swimming pool. And in the winter, swimming pools get like this, this plastic cover put on top, right? Mm. Well, some of these guys are getting drunk and they were like, hey, let's throw them in the swimming pool. And we're taped together. And so if you know anything about those covers, they act like saran wrap, right? Like, yeah. like plastic wrap. If you put any weight into the center, the whole thing wraps up around you and you can't really get out, especially if you're taped to some guy, right? Um, so they started talking about throwing us in. At that point, that's when I was nervous. I was like, if these guys throw us in, we're done. We're going to die. And they grabbed us and they went back and forth, back and forth. And then they were like, just kidding. And, uh, Never threw us in, but yeah, that was uh, that was like the welcome hazing to Seal Team Three back in the day. <laughs> I can't, I, I can't, I can't imagine why they're not allowed to do it these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's uh, we've only had like two or three seals die because of hazing. I don't see what the big deal is. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's so true what you say though that hazing is one of those things where it helps build a group together, doesn't it? Because I know for a fact, looking looking at your smile on your face there, Clint, you did it to the next guys that rocked up at SEAL Team 3, am I right? Oh, yeah. I mean, here, here's the thing, and one of the biggest points I pointed out in the book is that 
if you don't get hazed, then nobody gives two shits about you, right? Hazing yeah. is something that it's a it's 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 all about that, you know, comrades. You know, it's like it, it's more than just welcome to the club. I mean, it's like a brotherhood. So when you haze it, haze someone, you get through it, and then everybody shakes your hand and says welcome. You know, it's it's a big deal. It's it's a ceremony of sorts that's really unorthodox, obviously perverted, but uh, but all in fun. Yeah, as a, a sort of, to a lesser extent, you know, I mean, just on this podcast, I mean, me and Ali will take little shots at each other every and again. We'll take the piss of each other. And if, you know, it's, if you don't like somebody, you don't do those things. It's, a, it's something that nobody else would understand, like what you're saying. People out with that would never understand why you would, why would you do this? You know, but you do it because it's a, you know, a group thing. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. you know, we, we, we quite regularly, you know, we both, you know, practice jiu-jitsu. And we we always refer to it as you know it's it's weird trying to murder your friend and then slapping hands and giving each other a cuddle and having a laugh about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the same. Yeah. No, it's the same thing. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. there's a bond that happens when yeah. you fuck with each other over and over again. Yeah. Plus, I mean, you got to have thick skin. Um, you've got to be willing to kind of take a punishment because let's face mm -hmm. it, that's the least of your you know thick skin punishment issues that you'd ever have in your entire career is hazing. I mean, if you can't handle hazing, then you're not going to handle anything else. That's for Pro sure. You're probably in the wrong fucking place. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, what, you know, what, one of the things that, you know, I was just going to say, um, what you said there was, um, you know, I suppose right from day one, you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, right. that's where that, that term came, uh, you know, it's kind of like a new saying, but it's really based on old sayings. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. you gotta, you definitely gotta be okay with, uh, being cold, wet and sandy, like in buds. Um, you've got to be okay with, you know, being put in positions where you could potentially die. I mean, you just gotta be okay with all of it in order to, uh, succeed in that kind of, in that kind of world. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, um, something that you, you actually did something amazing today, Clint, and you don't know about it. Um, so I, Ali's a fantastic reader. Ali reads all the books. I suppose, I suppose, as in you know the seals, there would be the well-read guy who's very smart, and then you get the dumb guy who's really strong and could lift heavy shit. So Ali's a clever guy, and I'm another one. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I'm not a good reader. I like having books. I, I just don't like reading them. So I signed up to Audible, and I started this morning listening to 100 Deadly Skills um, huh. when I was when I was on the treadmill. Um, so yeah, you did something amazing today. You got me to download Audible to listen to your book. So that's the first, you, that's an amazing thing that you've achieved. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's good to hear. Uh, but so, yeah, it's I'm important to know, you know, when you listen to the books, you're missing out on the illustrations, you know. So the yeah. it's like you got the narrative and then you got the illustration that kind of guides you to, especially with 100 Daily Skills. It's like a, it's like a troublemaking Martha Stewart kind of book, right? I mean, it's very do-it-yourself you know yeah um so yeah but if you I listen like, it, yeah it's still good I may, I may well i may well buy it because i like that so i have you know i have books so i have um you know the art of uh, the art of war and um the book of five rings yeah i have these kind of books because i like to have them you know i have i have a record player so i like to buy records i don't really listen to them but i like to have something physical because it's nice i just don't like reading i like you know i could i could watch um documentaries all day i love that but i, I just can't I'm one of those people that just can't get into reading a book. So, so uh, yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully 
listen to it on Audible will be uh, nearly as good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, the hundred deadly skill thing is really fascinating. I, I really, I like, I like the whole sort of ready for life. You know, any situation for life. I really like that. Um, I, you know, approach to 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 everything. Sort of. Um, it's funny, you know, it kind of ties into this. So I, I'm quite right. You know, people will say. You know, I see people in the cities, so in Scotland, you know, Edinburgh or Glasgow, and you know, you, people will say, oh, I got mugged. And, it, you know, you see people walking down the street and they'll have earphones in, staring at their phone, and then go, I, I, don't, I don't know how I got fucking mugged. You go, I do. You're not paying attention to anything. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting thing to be kind of constantly. Are you, so when you, when you're, you know, talking about these things, are you thinking about, are you constantly on edge? Or are you just paying attention to everything in yeah, no. generally? What's interesting is, uh, you know, I, you're, you're hitting on the biggest and most important piece, and that's awareness, right? And it gets overused, like, verbally, and people always talk about situational awareness, but very rarely do they actually do it, you know? So it's, uh, but it is the, the, the aspect that, the one thing that can save your life is being aware. And I like to define awareness into really just four simple parts. And that is personal awareness, right? That's look in the mirror before you walk out the door, because usually what gets you targeted is the way you dress, the things you have on. These are the things that you can control a hundred percent. So you might as well. So that's why being the gray person is always ideal. Wearing neutral colors, no name brands, no big logos, no expensive jewelry. Look simple, look boring. Um, and that's personal awareness, real easy, right? Look in the mirror before you walk out the door. And then you've got cultural awareness. Um, and Americans are horrible at this because we don't know shit about the rest of the world. Uh, but it's important if you're going to travel the globe know what the do's and don'ts, right? Just know the simple stuff, right? If I'm going to go to go over to the Middle East and I'm going to wear a red shirt that says Coca-Cola across the front in white, not a good idea. Coca-Cola was started by Jews. Muslims don't like Jews. They know that. That's why Coca-Cola is not allowed in most Middle Eastern countries. And then red and white is the color of the Crusaders, as you guys know, who roamed around and killed everybody. So, you know, it's... Uh, there's do's and don'ts everywhere you go. That's cultural awareness. So personal awareness, you can control it. Cultural awareness, you can control that. And then, of course, you have what we all hear all about all the time is situational awareness. And situational is really you can only control 50% of any equation, right? I can put my seatbelt on. I can have a full tank of gas. I can be ready to go and still get T-boned in an intersection by a guy who runs the red light. So... You know, you've got 100%, 100%, 50%. All of that is to try and control the, the fourth and final piece of awareness, and that's third-party awareness. Third party is everybody looking at you. They all have the ability to scrutinize you and judge you without ever knowing you, right? We do it all the time when we're sitting in, like, international airports. Oh, look at that hot chick. Look at that ass. Look at this. Look at that. We notice these you know, that we notice guys, we notice the women, and then maybe we notice a guy, the guys that might be like us, right? Maybe he's a fighter too. Maybe he's in the military. And that's what we look for. That's what we notice. 
And then we judge them and we scrutinize them and we do whatever we do. It's normal. So the goal is, is if you're controlling your personal awareness, your cultural awareness, doing the best you can with situational, then all of a sudden you've got better control over, you know, that third party awareness, which includes bad guys, foreign intel services, uh, and beyond. So it's really that simple. So if people just kind of started doing that, um, all of a sudden, you know, you wouldn't, your, your threat reduction goes down a whole lot, right? So that you don't have to worry about those threats, you know, coming after you. Hopefully they go after the next idiot uh, that's dressed like a, you know, like he's all that and he's got all the money, you know, that's the person they'll go after. But yeah, that's kind of, I don't, so, so now I don't really, to answer your question, I don't live on edge because I really take a lot of that kind of stuff into consideration now before I even walk out the door, which makes things a lot easier once you're out there, you know. Um, these things, obviously, I, I, I'll wear, if I'm traveling abroad or, you know, doing whatever, then I've, I've got long sleeves on and yeah. I just kind of keep those out because if there's one thing that gets me recognized is this haircut. And these tattoos, <laughs> so <laughs> I'll wear a ball cap and, you know, wear a long sleeve and then all of a sudden no one knows who the hell I am anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's well, you know, one of the things that I find interesting and I've had this conversation with friends before. So when I was, you know, I was doing a, a run in the, the Highlands and there's a, you know, a ridge that you run along that's real sketchy and, it, you know, in the disclaimer for the, the race, it says, um, you know, there's a, a possibility of death. Yeah. And, you know, and I, you know, people were saying, "Why the fuck would you do that?" And I was like, "Yeah, but that because I'm in control of that. But I would never jump out of a plane because I don't feel like I'm in control of that situation. But a ridge is like, well, I, I'm in control. I'm 100% in control. But I'm jumping out of a plane, I don't think I am. So the whole, you know, <laughs> what are you in control of? You know, it's, it's I, that kind of makes sense to me um, in, in terms of. You know, I, I you know I'm aware of what is on this ridge, what I can grab onto, and what I can put my foot on and stuff. Whereas a you know the other side of it, no, I can't. No, that terrifies me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, terrifies yeah, me too. Me. I mean, jumping on airplanes. I mean, especially when there's a time gap, it's like, what the fuck am I doing this for? Why have I been doing? You do it for if you do it for 20 years straight, like I did. Every single time, you're like, okay. This, you know, you feel like your luck is running out. Like eventually I'm going to run into a malfunction with my canopy that I'm not going to be able to fix and I'm just going to burn in and that's going to be over. It's kind of like if you fly on airplanes long enough, you, you eventually think, well, hell, I've been flying on airplanes my whole life. Yeah. yeah. You, I'm going to, the odds are I'm going to end up on the one that crashes sooner or later, right? If you live long yeah. enough. So. It's funny you say that because I remember having my last um, my last amateur boxing match, uh, Clint. And I can remember, you know, the guy goes and he, he puts the gloves on you and stuff and then you're, there's, a, there's a fight on, so you're waiting to go in. And I can remember standing there distinctly going, why the fuck am I doing this? Why am I doing this anymore? Like, I, I, was approaching, I was approaching 30 and just thinking, why the fuck? This guy's twenty-one. He really wants to hurt me. I've I've been around for a while. I you know I can't wait to get a pint later. This is stupid. And um, yeah, it was it was stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know the feeling. But you know that feeling is good to have because it's uh, yeah. it keeps you in check. Yeah. You know, I call it the new guy feeling, right? And I and I meant to talk about this in my book. I never got to it, but it's a great philosophy that's kind of 
embedded in the SEAL teams. And I don't even think the SEAL teams notice, but you heard me say new guy earlier. When you're the new guy, you're always trying to earn the respect of your peers. You're always showing up early. You're always staying late. You're like, you know, constantly volunteering for everything. You're, you know, just earning your way every single minute. And what's crazy is that that new guy feeling never goes away when you're in the SEAL teams. Like even when I got to the 20 year mark, I still felt like a new guy. And what it does is it keeps your ego in check. It keeps you humble. It makes sure that you're always learning because there's always somebody smarter, faster, stronger than you. And you know that, right? And as long as you always take on that, I'm the new guy mentality and philosophy, then you'll always be getting better and better for the rest of your life. But unfortunately, you get a lot of people that think, you know, they're, you know, they're king shit, you know, uh, yeah. after several years of experience. And I'm sure we've all run into these types of guys full of ego, all talk, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, they ruin it for the rest of us. But it's important to always be the new guy, whether you're jumping out of a yeah. plane or you're going to be here and fight someone because you never yeah. know who that motherfucker is standing in to your toe to toe with, yeah. you know, they could be the one that just whoops your ass. And, yeah. but if you're always have a little bit of that fear, a little bit of that anxiety, man, it makes you yeah. so much better. Doing. Yeah. I'm, glad you, I'm, I'm glad you said that. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. in, in, in jujitsu circles, we talk about it being like the white belt mentality, keeping that white belt mentality throughout knowing that you know nothing and just always yeah. being willing to learn and, and stay on your toes. And, even someone that's been, you know, I'm sure when you were 20 years in the service and the new, the real new guys came in, they might have had stuff that you weren't aware of that you could have learned from. And it's, it's been humble enough and to accept, you know what, they, okay, I've got 20 years under my belt, but they might know shit I don't know. And being humble enough to admit that's so, <laughs> such think, an important, um, not just in the military, but in life in general. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm, yeah, I'm with you, man. I think that's a great way to go. I think it's um, not not wanting to be embarrassed by a new guy. You know, you could be a 20-year Navy SEAL and be the baddest guy in your block, but there could be a new guy who really wants to outshine the 20-year veteran. You know, you, yeah. you, eh, I, I don't want to be fucking showing up with this little shit. So, um, yeah, I suppose in the SEAL, SEAL teams, you know, you have to, you know, you're surrounded by badass men. Um, so I suppose you have to, you know, there's always going to be someday you know, who's a bit bigger, a bit stronger, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, I suppose, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that I have some friends um, who make me feel like an absolute bitch. <laughs> so it comes to, you know, whether, whether it's lifting weights or whether it's running or swimming or cycling, you know, you think you've done something great, and then, you know, I, I know a girl who can out out squat me, and you think, what the fuck? But she's like, you know, she's a very good power lifter, but you know, you go, what? I have nothing. I need to work so much harder. So yeah, I think it's uh, important to be surrounded by these people um, to make you feel like that. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, it, competition obviously breeds like advancement and you know moving to the next level. If you don't have that competitive spirit with each other, then uh, and you take everything personal or serious or whatever, then you know you're not really getting anywhere, right? How um, how competitive does it get? And the, the teams, it's uh, you know what's interesting is because everybody somewhat keeps themselves in check for 
you know, an entire career. And don't get me wrong, we still have our fair share of bad apples and assholes and egomaniacs. But mm. for the most part, um, guys are all pretty humble, you know, especially, you know, when you talk about combat, that becomes the measurement. That's the measuring stick. So uh, it's not about push-ups and pull-ups and all that shit. It's all about, like, getting when you're in the fight, are you able to, you know, are you calm, cool, collective and doing your job the way that you're supposed to? And, you know, and then, of course, you're leveraging each other to win. So at the end of the day, when when you get done with something that like high risk, I mean, combat is like taking high risk to the next level and then. Mm-hmm. When it's all said and done and you come back from that one mission, um, not only is the camaraderie high and that competitive spirit is still going to always be there, but what, what's above and beyond that is the, the bonds that are built during that to where, like I said, the push-ups and the pull-ups don't matter anymore. It's the experience on the battlefield that takes precedent. You know, there was, there was years, you know, before 9-11 and, and all that, that, you had guys that never really did anything real world, a real world operation. And, and I remember at the, when I first came in in the 90s, we would go train with someone like, you know, the SAS. And those guys had all the experience. So you'd show up and, yeah, we're wearing a trident in our chest and we're Navy SEALs. But we didn't have anybody in our group that had any fucking experience, right? Mm-hmm. That's what matters in this world, right? So – You'd show up and you've got these hardcore, old school, some of these SAS dudes, you know, that they don't get paid shit. They had a ton of experience. They're not living like rock stars, right? They are quiet professionals. And you're like, wow, there's a lot to learn from these dudes. So immediately we were humbled. And then as time went on, you saw the transition. Everything kind of evened out, but there was still mutual respect. Ten years into battle all over the globe and you go hang out or do a mission with your SAS buddies. Now we're all the same. Now there's a lot to share. We actually have something we can give them now. Um, it was, it turned, it's really cool, but experience is experience. Experience always is the measuring stick when you're in a world of alpha males, right? I mean, that's really what matters, not how fast you can run four miles or swim two miles or yeah. do the oak course. It really boils down to, you know how many times you've been there, done that, and you're still alive. Yeah, I suppose yeah. you're not in um, you're not in the military to do push-ups. You're in the military to you know to win battles, and you know what, what was your um, what was your experience with the the British guys? Uh, the Brits, I mean, like I mean, for me, they uh, they always it's a it's it's a different thinking and different strategy, right? It's always interesting, and there's always something to learn. Um, but they also are, you know, they're pretty hard dudes. You know what I mean? Like we're kind of spoiled in the U.S. military to a certain degree, especially once you get to in the SEAL teams, right? I mean, you're like, you kind of get a little bit of everything. What I think was surprising was with SAS guys, you know, they're, it's still a little old school, still, it was still a little barbaric. I think I was surprised at like, you know, their world wasn't as new as ours. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was, 
they had, you know, all that stands out is when you go hang out with them at the 2-2 is the, the green roofs that are on base there. The buildings are older. Like, I think they go date back to World War II. Their gym wasn't as, like, you know, it's just, it's just different. But there's something to be respected of guys that are still kind of, you know, living and breathing in a more, you know, sweaty the old sweaty gym kind of flavor, you know, does that make sense? It's like, you know, their ranges, their ranges and all their stuff wasn't as nice as ours, but the, but the reality is, is you don't need nice in order to be good at something. And I think that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I suppose it sounds a little bit to put, to put a a non-military spin on it. I I picture it more as the, you know, Rocky four, Rocky goes and trains in the snow with the woods and then big dogs with all the, you know, the, the electronic equipment and computers <laughs> and Rocky's just there running with bricks and I suppose in that situation yeah. we have That's the Rocky it. and you guys are the, the Dolphin then, Yeah, the, um, I think Brits, man, they, they they embrace like that suck factor. You know, like yeah. it's rainy and it's cold, it's fucking perfect out here. And we're like, <laughs> what the fuck? We don't want to get wet. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah. um, We've been tortured with water. We're like, oh, yeah, I'll stay under here where it's warm and cozy until I need to go out there. (laughs) It's funny. We've always, you know, when you go up to the north of Scotland, uh, they do quite a lot of training, uh, special forces training up there. And if you get the right day or the wrong day, depending on how you want to look at it, it is fucking miserable. It's miserable. Everything's wet. It's cold. The rain comes sideways. It's just horrible. It's a horrible, horrible place. Um, but, uh, you know, fair play to those guys. They must be tough because it is miserable as fuck <laughs> when you go yeah. up there. Um, but, yeah it's, uh, yeah, it's always nice to get the comparison between uh, American guys and, and British guys. We, you know, we both have friends, military guys, who, you know, you know, they've told us the Americans have all of the, all of the kit. You know, they have everything. Um, but, you know, your, your military budgets, some ungodly amounts of hundreds of billions. And we have, you know, whatever, a hundred pounds or something. I don't know. But you guys have you know, <laughs> yeah. 800 billions. So, you know, you, you, you guys would have all the, the best of uh, kit. Yeah, no. And, and, you know, and the saying still holds true. And it kind of proves the point is that uh, it's not the kit that makes the soldier. It's the soldier that makes the kit. Right. I mean, it's like. Mm. So it really, at the end of the day, it's all about that man and 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 his his brain and his will. And it, as long as those you know those aspects are like solid, good to go, well vetted, then you're going to have a great force that is hell mm. to be reckoned with, right? So yeah. and it doesn't matter if they've got iron sights or lasers; it really doesn't. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're you're still going to everyone's still proficient with their iron sights, no matter what kind of technology you've got. you right. I mean, cause that, cause that technology could break, fall apart. The batteries could die. The lens can, you know, whatever you're. So at the end of the day, we're all have to be proficient at the basics in order to be advanced. Did you, um, did you, did you do any, any, any work with any other nations? Um, you know, uh, you know, other than, you know, Iraq yeah. or, or, uh, yeah. Did you do, you know, any other guys impress you in terms of military capability? Yeah, we did. Um, we did a simultaneous uh, op with the the Grom, the the Polish Grom. Oh, okay. uh, those guys are pretty hardcore too. You know, they don't have anything. 
and they still get the job done. Um, but I mean, I remember one night in Kuwait before we went into Iraq for something, um, we hung out, we'd all hang out in the same kind of like tent city together. And we had, you know, 55 gallon drums with a fire in it, you know, staying warm at night. And these guys broke out no shit Polish sausages, you know, as part of their their rations. And we're like, what the fuck? You guys actually get Polish sausages? Is like we get MREs, you know, which tastes like shit. You can't, and then you can't have a bowel movement for like six months after you eat one, right? <laughs> these guys break out these links from from Poland. We're like, holy shit, yes! And we're like hanging out over a. A big fire on you know on this rusty drum and uh you know with sticks you know with our polish sausages uh it's awesome and uh they're great dudes too but uh and then of course there's you know the middle eastern um forces that over time you end up having to either train or work with that you know that's hit and miss man they're either okay and uh, yeah. none of them it's it's strange. It's we take being warriors and being soldiers, and I would say the Western world takes it far more serious than I'd say anybody else. You know what I mean? Like we we pride ourselves on being as badass as we can. Um, and I've noticed with like when you get around to other you know the Middle East or other portions, it's just not the same, man. They just don't take it that serious and. Uh, they, they have the ability, and we outfit them with all the gear and the weapons, but once again, right, it's the, the soldier makes the kit, not the kit makes the soldier. So you can dress them up and make them look intimidating, but, you know, most of the time they're like paper mache tigers, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Interesting, because you think you would, I suppose with the history of that area, you think they'd be almost very warrior-like. You know, you've already mentioned the Crusades, uh, you know the the mujahideen in the seventies, very warlike, and yet maybe it's is it too regimented? Do you think is that the big issue then, Clint? It's more the regimented side of military life that they struggle with, or is it uh, you know the orders and uh, as opposed to being a warrior? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure, man. I just kind of always, you know, nothing, nothing against anyone, but I always labeled a little bit of laziness is built into their system, you know. Um, it's it's always inshallah, right? If God's will, like if and so if we were running training, and let's say twenty two guys were supposed to show up, two two would show up, and they would show up thirty minutes late, and it would be inshallah, <laughs> and you're like, mm. uh, no, we've got shit to do today, right? We got things mm. we need to get done. We've got a schedule. They got all these tasks that we need to teach you. You got to go get your friends, come back with all of them. I mean, it was constantly like that. So it, it is odd because, yeah, if you look back at history, I mean, there was times when Persia and everybody, you know, was taking over the world. But um, it's, it's be, um... organized military units. Uh, I think for them, when they're putting on a uniform and they're doing what they're doing, if it's not in the name of Allah, then it's not really mean anything, right? Mm -hmm. So you dress them up, you try and make soldiers of them. But if they're if their faith isn't backing it, then they don't give a shit. But once their faith is behind something, then they're all in, as we know, right? I mean, yeah. they'll they'll fly airplanes into buildings uh, if their faith is all in. That must be 
unbelievably frustrating to try and teach that to be a soldier. <laughs> right. No, yeah, and it's you're, and it's not their fault. At the end of the day, it boils down to culture, you know? And, and, culture, yeah. Yeah, yeah and generations and generations of priorities and what's important and what really isn't. And um, you're, it's it, it would take it would take, you know, decades, if not a century, to finally get them up to speed with our, you know, more westernized thought processes, where for us, you know, your job, your country and your job and all these things are become really important. And that's what matters. And, uh, and everything else is second, right? I mean, so it's, uh, yeah. Do you, um, do you, do you, what do you, um, you know, just the way society is now, especially Western society, you know, UK and America are very similar. Do you want, do you worry about the younger people being maybe a little bit softer and a little bit lazier? Do you worry about that for the future of the military, Clint? Yeah, I think we've all seen it. Like, you know, you hear about millennials, right? And here in the U.S., millennials are certainly given a hard time because uh, it, it's it's different aspects of their life. They, one, they, they kind of just don't want to work. They want everything for free. Um, you know, they still, some of them are living at home, even though they've got, you know, a master's degree, right? They've maxed out schooling, but they still live at home. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Um, you know, old school, traditional America is, you know, you go to school or you, you know, you finish your, your high school or for you guys, what's it's primary, right? And then you, then you move into university or for us, it's, you know, you go to, you immediately go to college and then you immediately get a job and then you make a family and then that's it right now. <laughs> what's happening now is maybe the high school, maybe the college, you know, and, and the rest is kind of like, well, I'm just trying to figure things out. I want to learn more about me and uh, <laughs> you know, some other, you know, I don't even know how to describe it, but um, yeah. you see a little bit of that. Definitely. As I was leaving the military, you would see a little bit of that in the new guys right there. This becomes the most important thing. Um, you know, so as soon as training is over, they're on their phones. There's no camaraderie. They're not hanging out as much as I used to with my buddies. Mm-hmm. Um, because when I came in, there was no internet. You know, there was there was there was none of this stuff. So you were you hung out with each other. You went out and you got in fights and you just had fun. And now these guys they don't get in fights. They don't go out to bars. They don't hang out. It's really strange, to be honest with you. It's kind of like, and if you bring it up. Like, hey, let's go party. Let's go do whatever. They look at you like, what? No, no, we'll get in trouble. We can't do that. So <laughs> they're, a little more, they're also a little more risk adverse, you know, and it's just kind of way uh, – it's unfortunate because society has kind of all started becoming a little, you know, less hard and more uh, yeah. more flexible. And it's like – I, I, but I, I see it as everything's a pendulum, right? So. Yeah, yeah. It's going to go back the other way. It's just a matter of time, right? Yeah. Time is always the biggest problem. I was just going to say, I, I always think, you know, you're talking about going into bars and fighting and stuff. I always think one of the funniest things that can happen when you're a, a young man is when you're in a bar and you get into a fight and nobody gets hurt. It's just so, it's so much fun. You know, the stories you can tell later on and there was a fight and, and nobody gets hurt. Nobody gets arrested. Nothing gets damaged, but there's a fight breaks out. So it's such so good. It's like so much fun. <laughs> you know, it's something yeah. somebody gets sucker punched and somebody gets punched and 
so much fun. <laughs> and you also learn. You learn a lot yeah. of fight, right? Yeah. Envi environmental weapons, you're, you're identifying them as soon as you walk in, which environmental would be like the corner of the bar, right? I know that's where I'm going to take somebody's head and smash it. Or, you know, okay. then you know, okay, I can get that stool between me and that guy. And I throw that stool over. Just give me that long enough second so I can throw a cross, you know? So, I mean, there's a lot to be learned in a bar fight too, by the way. It's, um, <laughs> it's funny, funny, Glenn. I, I, the last time, the last time I was in a, a bar fight, uh, Ali, you've never heard the story, Ali. This is quite funny. So we were in a, a we're in a nightclub with one friend and my friend was, you know, there was, there was some bumping into each other and, you know, just drunk guys. And So I, I was watching it and I went, fuck, this, this, this is going to be a fight. So this guy headbutted my friend and I had, you know, a, a bottle of beer or something in this hand, and I jabbed the guy, dropped him, and then uh, <laughs> I remember having my hand in his mouth, like this, and I had a hand cocked ready to hit him, and then there was three bouncers on me, and they were obviously used to dealing with absolute assholes, so they were grabbing me and dra trying to drag me down the stairs, and I went, guys, like, just let me go, and I'll walk outside. And they, they, all, they, all said it, they all went, what? I said, no, listen, I'm fine, man, just let me, I'll just walk out. And they, they all went, oh. Okay, and I just walked outside, got my way, went, oh, well, let's get a taxi, and we'll just go home. It's, just, it's, so, it's so much fun. But, uh, yeah, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> a, little yeah, too, I, a, little too, a little too old for that, but it's so much fun. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, on the here, point of you'll get thrown in jail. I mean, it's just ridiculous now. Sorry. Yeah, the, the thing is, you, you know, you wouldn't want to hit anybody or, you know, even get involved in the fight now, because if you hit something, they fall and hurt their head. Oh, God, it's... A night in jail at worst. I'll just stay at home and watch a movie and have a beer in the house. I don't fucking want involved in that shit. That's the, that's the thing that my, my dad struggled with. My dad, Clint, was in the, the Royal Navy for 22 years. He was 1975 to 1997. And he said he saw it going through that, that change even back then. And he was in the Navy at the time where if someone pissed you off, you would punch them and nothing else would ever be said. And then towards the end of his career, 95, 96, 97, he was getting pulled up on captain's tables all the time because these young 18, 19-year-old guys were coming in from HMS Rally straight out of training. Get something wrong, like you were saying, so you do the, the hazing, and my dad would punch them, and then they would report it to the captain, and then my dad would get put in the, into the brig. And, <laughs> and then when he, when he left and went into Civvy Street, he carried that mentality with him, and he lost about his first four jobs in Civvy Street. I'm laughing. <laughs> out. People went, supervisor would shoot him, and he'd be like, no, because you told me to put the stuff here. Oh, yeah, but I've changed my mind. I want it. And my dad would punch him in the face. Well, you clear with your instructions in the future. And that was all it was. Just take a punch in the face, and I'll move the stuff for you. But obviously then... They would get punched in the face and report it to the police and cause all that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah it's, it's unfortunate, isn't it? I mean, the way I see it, too, is if two people are having an issue, it become, it's a confrontation, they start engaging each other, then immediately you're both at fault or you're both right. There yes. shouldn't be lawyers and police involved at that point. So it cracks me up that these days if you lose the fight or you get injured – then you're going to go lawyer up and 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 create a legal piece when you know you you totally like acknowledged and wanted to be in the fight or else why did you just because you got your ass kicked you go and get a lawyer just doesn't do you, make sense. Do you do you not think, uh, Clint, that every man at some point in his life should take an ass whooping? 
Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I've got a buddy. I've got a buddy who's never been in a fist fight, and I was like, uh, I don't know if that's like. Yeah. I, I don't think you can check. <laughs> I don't think you can check the box on being a man if you've never been in a fight. Yeah. Like some kind of yeah. fight. Yeah. Win yeah, or lose, you're in a fight. Everybody needs an ass whooping at some point in life. Yeah, it yeah. Brings you, it brings you down a few levels. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, I like to box, right? I'm a boxer as well. And oh, so okay. in my retirement, here in Texas, you've got Mexicans that will kick your ass in a fucking, like, heartbeat, right? They're fast. Their feet, their hands, everything. You're like, what the fuck? And then, I'm, you know, here I am, slow motion white guy. And... uh but it's it's the best way to just keep yourself in check is to get your ass kicked every now and then. Did you um did you do any any competitive um, boxing, Clint? Did you do any any amateur stuff or in the in the forties? No, no. We we you know we're always doing combatives, you know. Yeah. So the first two to three hours of every day in your SEAL life is you know working out and combatives. Okay. So we kind of we kind of take take. Whatever, you know, as you know, if you fight long enough, it's not about, you know, the right or wrong art. It's just taking the things that work best for you, you know, and and being open minded that, hey, there's a lot of stuff out there and you got to be good on the ground. You've got to be a good striker. And and then uh, and the reality is, if you ever find yourself, especially on an operation where where you're rolling around with someone, something's gone very wrong. Right, (laughs) you're not there to roll around with anybody, right? So if that happens, then something's gone wrong. But you do need to know how to handle yourself in that situation uh, as an as an operator or or just as a man. Is that where your violent nomad comes from? Then your violent nomad philosophy does that tie into that? Yeah. So when I put the first hundred deadly skills book together. Um, I didn't want to say Navy SEALs do this, Navy SEALs do that. All of those skills are a compilation that I feel um, everybody should be uh, capable of. And that's where I came up with the the violent nomad spirit, if you will, right? Being a violent nomad means I'm self-reliant, I self-rescue, and if if I'm a good person – and I need to be violent, then I'm capable of violence. And mm. so Nomad is all about being able to just survive no matter what the obstacles are in life. And then violent, of course, is being able to flip the switch in order to either protect yourself, the people around you, your family. So, yeah. And, and then so the violent, so the 100 Deadly Skills series, you know, there's two books out. The third one I'm working on is all about the fight, and so mm-hmm. um, it's pretty cool. And it's it'll it'll hopefully uh, complete the series where the first book is all about like covert, clandestine ways of dealing with bad guys. Yes. The second book is all about different crisis situations like active shooter, natural disaster. I even have a section in there on pandemic. So who would have thought, right? <laughs> um, and, and, then, uh, and then what's been happening in the U.S. lately in the second book is all, and, and I, hear, I understand it's happening over there too, is all the protests and riots. So there's a section in book two mm-hmm. on how to deal with social unrest. Um, so third book will be just hand-to-hand, knife, pistol, rifle, sniper rifle, 
And then, of course, just dirty tricks in order just to, you know, create enough pain so that you can get away and get yourself out of bad situations with bad people. So, yeah, so I, I listened to it. I watched a, a video you had done uh, on YouTube just uh, this morning. And you were talking, you know, some presentation you were doing. And you were talking about, you know, controlling a guy's beard means you control the neck, control the spine. So you obviously, you ha- obviously have some grappling knowledge because that's perfectly correct. So did you do, have you done some jiu-jitsu or is it just something that you've picked up or? Yeah, yeah. When I was in, um, I guess it started, you know, um, when I was a kid, I, uh, I could only really do, Taekwondo was like the only thing available where I grew up overseas in Saudi. And so Taekwondo was kind of like, but I, I was like one of those kids that knew like doing all this formation, you know, stupid things to earn a belt. I'm not a belt guy. I don't give a shit, right, about, like, I just want to go learn everything that works and Mm. cut all the other stuff out. Um, And then when I was in high school in, uh, I think it was, whatever, 90, or maybe I was in my first year of college when UFC won, right? And the Gracies rolled in and Hoist fucked everybody up, right? He had this weird centerline stance, to draw on that outside fire so that he could come down the center and just take you to the ground and, and smoke you. Right. And then I started going, and then I started looking it up and, uh, I was looking for jujitsu gems. And so I did a little bit in college. And then once I got into the seal teams, then, you know, we all roll around on the mat and do different, you know, there's guys of different levels around you that you can learn from. And that's where I kind of maintained it. Yeah. It's, um, I was one of the guys, uh, Clint, so when I was, you know, boxing at my best, I, I was, a, you know, an internationalist with Scotland. And when I was at my best, you know, probably being a bit, well, not probably, definitely being a little bit arrogant about boxing, you know, fucking jiu-jitsu and wrestling and eh, fuck all that shit. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then you start to do it and you go, ah, okay. And then from that, you realize how stupid it is just to be able to box. Because, you know, oh, what do you, there was an, an idea in my head that nobody could take me down quicker than I could punch them. And then you, you know, the first time you, you know, you grapple with a wrestler, you go, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> what just happened? Uh, so you realize how vulnerable you are and you have to start again. Go, okay, I don't know anything. I'm shit. And um, it's amazing like you're saying, you know, what's, you know, what's the best, um, you know, from every little thing that makes you the best fighter. Um, so it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, I, I, even last year uh, I competed in... Um, uh, a jiu-jitsu tournament in Amsterdam and I got my ass kicked in the final of a big German who was a wrestler and I still can't wrestle and so I really need to I, need, I really need to be able to learn to wrestle you know you think you're doing really well I'm in the final and then the big German just fucked me up and went ah shit <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I still need to add that I still need to add that to my, to my uh, repertoire <laughs> that's okay uh, though right it makes you it yeah, makes, yeah. makes you a better fighter a better person you know, it's interesting. I, I just got finished um, for book three. I traveled the entire United States during this pandemic. I got a, you know, I got a van and I went from literally um, coast to coast and uh, visited like 17 of, you know, some serious badasses here in the U.S. and said, you know, all right, what are your top five skills for the discipline that they are? You know, some of them are blade guys. Some of them are uh, pistols, some of them are rifle. Um, and it was really interesting to kind of 
see the common denominators across the board with all of these different fighters. Um, you know, I, I went to, uh, uh, I don't know if you guys know a band called Five Finger Death Punch. Um, yeah. So Zoltan is the guy, the, 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 the guy with the bass that started okay. the band. He's going to be in my next book because he's an avid jujitsu guy. Uh -huh. uh, so it's kind of cool to have a rock star, right? I mean, I went to his, his place and super cool, like obviously a rock star's house with Rolls Royces and Lamborghinis, you know, but, um, but he had a room and he's like, Hey, so, you know, we, it's, t I do an interview and then I did the skills with him. And so it was all just throws, right? Basic throws and how devastating a throw can be to just end a fight. Right. Mm -hmm. So taking the arts and translating it to for the average person so that if they find themselves in, a, in an, an issue with a bad guy on the streets, what I call the 97 percent, 97 percent of the people we would run into on the street have no fucking clue what they're doing. There's a three percent factor that, yeah, they might know what they're doing. Right. And it's the person you need to be worried about. But for the most part, everyone's going to be a fucking idiot. And, and the other point that across the board is if they're a professional fighter, you know, like you guys, you're not going to go out and start a fight, right? No. It's like, I'm not going to go out and start a fight. So the guys that know what they're doing aren't going to be the ones that start the fight. It's yeah. the 97% of the fucking morons out there that are going to start the fight. And so if you just know, like these, what I, you know, for him, it was like just the throws, and I had forgotten over time just how valuable a good throw is, right? And understanding mm -hmm. the push and the pull between two human bodies. And if, and if the guy you're going up, the 97% has no fucking clue, you're going to own him like that. Yeah. The same yeah. way as you as a boxer, you're going to own him in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really the kind of stuff I wanted to draw out of these guys. But anyway, I'll go into their place and, and then here's the best part of the whole thing. <laughs> we go in and he's like, Hey, uh, so did you want me to like do the throws on you or do you want me to grab one of the Gracie's that's visiting this week? And I was like, <laughs> what? And he's like, yeah, I got, I got, uh, Kion, Kion Gracie. He's living in London. He's here in Miami hang, or here in Vegas. Hang do you, would you want him to, you know, and I'm like, fuck yeah, bring him in. And so <laughs> here's this six foot two kind of the same lanky, you know, you know, freaking jujitsu royalty comes walking in and he's like 20 something years old, you know, and he's like, Hey, what's up? And I'm like, this is unreal. Rockstar, Gracie. And now they're going to fucking roll on the mat. And I get to sit here and hang out with it. You know, it's just like fucking, oh, man, that's where cool. else does that happen? Right. But so bottom line is this next book is going to be so cool because it's given the average person exactly what they need to know. To dominate the ninety-seven percent. So anyway, kind of went off on a tangent, but there you go. No, no, no that's, 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 that's what we love about this this podcast. We let people go on tangents, and where else <laughs> would you get a story about a Navy SEAL, a rock star, and a Gracie rolling about on the mats? Like, <laughs> yeah, we love when that happens. Too cool, too cool. So yeah, what? stay. You know, obviously, keep following me because I'll be posting some cool shit here pretty soon. Yeah, awesome, definitely. Yeah. What's um one of the one of the things that always amazes you know, like you're saying, I have to say that we are not professional fighters. We are just not bad, you know, better than average, but not you, you know, not not we're not professional fighters, but yeah, we're all right. When you talk about you know the ninety seven percent, what's always hilarious? So you're absolutely right. Almost always, somebody that can fight 
doesn't want to fight because that, why I don't want to fucking fight. So what's always amazing is the people who want to fight, they're probably not capable of fighting for more than a minute. <laughs> you know, you right? If that, can you Kinda. fight? I mean, you you've probably got you know a punch, maybe two punches to knock me out. And you're fucked. I know I can fight for ten minutes. So what? Are you sure? Are you yeah. sure you can win this fight? It's hilarious how um, you know how people. Uh, you know, I always say this, and it's absolutely true. So every 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 man thinks that he can fight, thinks that he's really good at sex, and thinks he can drive cars fast, <laughs> and, and almost certainly can't do any of them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's true. Um, it's, it's, it's absolutely true. It's, it always cracks me up that when you know, when you see guys fighting and you you know you go, what the fuck are you doing? Like yeah, just yeah. stop. I actually I have to say this. Sometimes when you know I'm rarely in a, a, a pub these days. But sometimes you do wish that somebody would start a fight with you just to see how easy it would be to fuck some just by grabbing somebody's collar, just by grabbing somebody's collar and bring them down here and then just yeah, guillotining them. Oh, that was yeah. easy. And I don't think they realise, you know, and you know, it's, it's you, you know, talking about grabbing a collar, I know Ali's had this, this problem as well. There's a guy who trains with us. Um, you know, we, we, we normally train no gi jiu-jitsu, but, we, you know, we train in the gi as well. And there's a guy who comes who is a, 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 is Jim a brown or a black in judo? I can't remember. Anyway, it's, it's one of those guys when he grabs your collar, you just instantly, you see, he's only a small, you know, maybe 65 kilo, whatever that is, you know, 150 pounds, something like that. You know, he grabs your collar and instantly you go, oh shit. Just that, like, proper old yeah. judo, like, fucking grab your collar and you go, holy shit. He's got me. I can't get, can't get him fucking off. You're trying to break his grip. <laughs> what the fuck? It's unbelievable. You know, these different skills that people, you know, it's, you know different skills that people have is amazing. But then he grabs your collar and instantly you go, this is different. This is this, this is something else. Yeah, I'm not Amazing. getting that back. I'm not, yeah, getting, I'm that not, back. I'm not <laughs> getting that back. Take my jacket off. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. That's you know, I like the uh, I like the idea of you know, um, you know, I, 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 I've, I've seen you do quite a bit of training. So to me, um, Clint, uh, you know, a, a man should be able to, you know, run reasonably far and reasonably fast to lift some heavy stuff. You know, be able to fight in some capacity. You know, and it just—it seems like there's so many guys now just can't do fucking anything. It's amazing. Yeah, or they want the shortcut. Is what I've yeah. noticed. One, everybody wants the magic pill. They want, yeah. come. they want to come to a guy like me or you guys, but they never really want to go and you know check all of the the rungs in the ladder. You know, yeah. or they want to know all about seals, but they don't want to join the military. You know, there's a lot of that lately where it's like, they just want the shortcut. They want the knowledge, but they don't want to go out and earn it, you know? Yeah. And that's, uh, it's kind of disappointing, but there's a lot of guys like me that are out, you know, teaching training and shooting and, yeah. and batives and stuff, make a lot of money off guys like that, that just went on the weekends, learn some cool shit from a cool guy. Yeah. And, uh, but at the end of the day, the scary part is they leave and they think they are truly capable. Um, and as we all know, unless you live it and breathe it, you're really not going to be capable of it, you know? No. No. It's, um, do you find, um, is this now, you know, what you're teaching, is this going to become more and more important to young people, you know, not just in America, you know, worldwide? Is this... Can it be regimented in learning 
you know, just how to be aware in a situation, you know, a crowded room, just to be aware and be ready. And, you know, is this, you know, do you, can you see, you know, what you're doing growing massively to help, especially now when you see these protests? It just seems like so many people are unprepared, have no direction, you know, no structure in their life. It seems like what you're doing could really be beneficial through college or, you know, school or anything like that. It just seems like somebody needs to do something like what you're doing to make it you know, people aware, capable. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I think, I think it's, I think people are starting to realize, I think the pandemic, social unrest, the economy going in the fucking shitter. Um, I mean, you got a lot of bad things going on all at the same time right now. And I think preparedness has taken on a whole new kind of feel. It's certainly become popular again. Um, you know, I, I think people want to uh, under, I think they understand the importance of having, you know, the extra cases of bottled water now in their garage or, you know, extra fuel out in the shed, um, extra food in the pantry. I think, you know, we've all gotten lazy and used to convenience. Everything is convenient, right? Yeah. And, um, but when you're talking about your own personal security, Security is not convenient. And if it is, then it's not secure. So it's a balancing act between making sure you live a secure life. Um, and also, of course, we want to take advantage of the convenient things, too. But yeah, I think this is teaching people right now that, hey, you know, having your water, your food, your first aid and medical stuff. And, you know, and here in America, you know, guns, bullets fucking are right there with your water. Um you know, having all of that ready, set, and then knowing how to use all of it um, is certainly becoming important now. I don't think it was before all this. I think people were just like, yeah, whatever. I got 911. I've got, you know, maybe my friend can do all that stuff for me. But uh, when, the, when, the, when the world starts to fold, your, your friend down the road isn't going to fucking do anything for you because they're too busy doing their own shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you You've got to know this stuff. There was a great, um, there was a great bit from Bill Burr, uh, you know, the comedian, the American comedian, and uh, you, know, uh, you know, he said, if you don't have a gun, all you're doing is collecting. Oh no, what was it? You can't fight. If you can't fight, all you're doing is collecting food for the toughest guy in the block. I made, I made a joke at the beginning of all this on my, I can't remember on some social media or something like that. I was like, you know, I'm not raiding the grocery store because my neighbors did it for me. <laughs> I know, um, you know, when this when this first started, you know, kicking off over here, um, Clint, and the one thing, so in my head, you know, because I do, you know, you know, quite a bit of running in the hills and stuff. So in my head, I went, well, I know where I can get water because I know where the streams are. You know, I go, well, okay, so I'm fit enough and strong enough that I could fill you know, a five-gallon drum and, you know, put it on my back and, and bring it home so I know where I can get water. The one thing that I uh, was, you know, thought about right at the beginning was that I need to learn how to fucking hunt. I need to learn how yeah. to hunt because if shit ever gets really bad and I can't hunt, uh, you know, yeah. what do you do? So I, that's thing, something that I think I will over the, you know, the next year is look, you know, you can't, um, you can't hunt. Um, I don't know about England, but certainly not in Scotland. You can't hunt with a you know a bow and arrow, so it has to be a rifle. 
and there's a whole load of checks to go through to get that. But that's something that I'm going to think about is learn how to go yeah. get a deer because, uh, you know, it, it, you, hopefully you never need it. No. But if you do and you don't need it, you know, as you know, the, the famous, uh, I think it's uh, Miyomata Musashi, you know, it's better to be a, you know, better to be a gardener, uh, sorry, a warrior in the garden than a gardener in the war. Um, yeah. Can, can, you know what I mean? So that's something that I'm going to look at. Do you, do you hunt? I grew up, my dad, you know, I'm in Texas and, you know, in the States, Texas is kind of like, uh, it's kind of like its own country, if you will. Yeah. We're, yeah. uh, Texans are very proud. And so, yeah, hunting is, uh, hunting and guns and, um, and even, you know, my grandparents were, you know, all World War II guys. So, you know, when they came back, you know, it was all about like preparedness. You know, my, I remember yeah. my grandfather had, drawers you pull open all over the house full of batteries in case the power went out you know <laughs> it's like batteries fucking everywhere i was always like grandpa why you got so many batteries i mean you never fucking know you never fucking know that's all there is to it. <laughs> so it generations you know it's it's the generation gap is what's going on right now but i think they're all learning like you know you're not there's no e there's no such thing as easier and easy ride and yeah. uh but hunting yeah i think for, I mean, for you, a, a novice, just make sure you um, Google where your local zoo is. You'll be good to go. <laughs> there was, there was a, one of the zoos down in the south of England actually did a release of some of their animals unintentionally during the pandemic. And there was like um, ostriches and stuff running about the city centre because one of the, the basically one of the generators had gone down because they weren't, you know, with the, the lockdown, it wasn't getting maintained. And yeah. the general going down, like all the ostriches, there was a couple of random, luckily none of the big cats or stuff got out, but there's like <laughs> random ostriches running down like a city centre in England. Wow. Uh, yeah, I think, I think I saw in the news something like that here in the US too, where they just had to let some of them go or, or whatever. Uh, yeah, probably the same reason. No one was showing up to work. Yeah. So, like, yeah. let them out, you know? Are you, guys, um, are you guys back to normal in Texas to some extent? Um... Our governor here um, was pretty laid back, and he took a bunch of heat from the media for being laid back. Um, but everything in Texas, we didn't have like a big, you know, we had, you know, cases in the thousands, just like every state. Um, but it wasn't that bad. Uh, we closed things down. We stayed at home. Things are opening. Uh, we've had a spike. You know, it's like, I think it's it's to the point now where it's like, hey, we all have to figure out how to live with coronavirus among us at this point, yeah. right? I mean, you can't, we just can't sit inside forever and you can't take yeah. every precaution. I, yeah. think, I think the magic to this would have been if they would have named it Flu X, right? Yeah. We have Flu X out. It's crazy. It's different. But if you just would have called it Flu X and said, we're working on a vaccine, I don't think the economy, I think I don't think the world would have freaked out as much. Because really, when you look at the numbers now, it really is like just, it's a flu as far as numbers and data. It's different, yes. It's scary, yes. But it's if we just would have named it the same damn thing as what we're used to hearing, <laughs> yeah. it would have prevented, I think, a lot of collapse. I also yeah. think we could have applied your rules of awareness to it, Clint, as in happens whenever anyone's sick. 
you, you're coughing and spluttering and sneezing. I'm going to step away from you because I don't want to catch anything. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, common it's sense. Relatively common sense, a bit of awareness. You know, if, if I feel sick, I won't go to work for a few days because I don't want to infect my co-workers or, you know, if the kid, I've got three kids, so if the kids are, I'll keep them off school for a couple of days because they're feeling a bit miserable and lousy. You know, yeah. and then the world went absolutely crazy. I was going to use the phrase batshit crazy, but that'd be a bad pun with COVID-19, but the world <laughs> went a little bit crazy over everyone. You know? I think it's perfect. I think batshit crazy is the perfect thing to call it, but everyone fucking went crazy. And I perfect example, too, is I went from coast to coast, right, over the whole month of May, and I didn't wash my hands once, and I am perfectly healthy. Yeah. <laughs> The, I did, um, so when it was uh, getting a little bit crazy here, I did, uh, so everybody was going to the shop looking for the same things. Everybody went to the shop looking for the same things, and I went, well, okay, so let's go Let's go crazy and say we, we're not allowed to leave the house for a month. So I went and bought all the shit that nobody else wanted. So, you know, the local shop, I went and bought all of the flapjacks. Uh, there was some cliff bars. Uh, pot, bomb, Bombay mix because Bombay mix is extremely calorie dense, uh, and you know pot noodles are calorie dense. And I went, okay, I'm going to buy thirty thousand calories. That gives me a thousand calories a day. I can live on that. And just went cool. And then I went and made sure I had a kettlebell. I made sure I had a medicine ball so I could do workouts. And other than that, I was like, ah, fuck it, I'm fine for a month. Yeah, <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah, think- I've got the I've, I've got the basics here. <laughs> Yeah, in in America, you'd go down to the grocery store and all the toilet paper was gone, but yet the aisles of canned beans, rice were full. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? Don't they realize if you don't eat, you can't shit? Like, so why are you got toilet paper? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, um... toilet paper disappeared in Scotland for some reason as well. It was, but as you say, things like the the cans, dried food. You could get that up until you know maybe a f- about a week into it, and then obviously stock started to drop because everyone was buying it. But first yeah. two days, toilet roll, poof, gone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a global phenomenon. I, I read a report where it's a psychological thing because toilet paper somehow is connected to all of us in our childhood, and so yeah. it's one thing that if you feel like you that if across humans, if you feel like you can't have it or don't have it, then there's like this sanitary dirty thing going and i don't know man but it seems to be a, definitely a global phenomenon based on some something up here with all of us i don't know uh, I, I don't know how the toilet situation is when you're on deployment um with the seal teams clint but i have done like i say a, a lot of running and i have lost a lot of gloves and a lot of socks <laughs> <laughs> and that's all i'll say <laughs> i was not i was not worried about toilet roll <laughs> yeah yeah i know if you squat and you and you just clench it off just right you don't even need to wipe you know that's, a, that's the talent everyone needs to know how to just squeeze it just just you know that it's anal it's anal muscle control and if you can just chop it off there's no dirty yes yeah. <laughs> one way charlie one way charlie sorry one way charlie oh dear right. <laughs> yeah so i say um... Yeah, the whole the whole world's crazy. We are getting back to some kind of normality here, but um, yeah, you know, with with the riots and stuff, and uh, it's, it's the whole world's. Uh, I you know, I think um, it feels like everybody needs to take a step back, a big deep breath, give somebody yeah. a cuddle, 
and uh, think about what what's going on and kind of it's like start you know afresh because everything seems like uh, it just seems like everything's got together you know being locked up for a couple of weeks and then everybody just goes berserk so is it you know was it was a much in the way of protests in in Texas was there any real trouble yeah I mean every major metropolitan got hit pretty good. Dallas is where I'm at. So, um, you know, they trashed, you know, it's crazy to me cause it's, uh, they end up trashing their own like worlds and, uh, and they ended up, uh, like trashing the very businesses that are owned, um, by, you know, black professionals. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's like, man, they did a number on themselves. I mean, they definitely did a number on a lot of businesses, regardless of race. But yeah. uh, they ended up hitting a lot of their I own, did. I, I own did. economical worlds. You know, yeah, and, uh, I, it's kind of a. I did, I, I, crazy. I did see. Um, I did see a few videos on, online. Um, you know, you know, black guys, black women who were in tears. Because people had looted the shops and set it on fire, and it's it's really heartbreaking to see somebody, and you know they're crying. You know, it's my life savings, and why have you done? Why have you done this? You've yeah. done more that da- you've done more damage by being a fucking moron than thinking about what you're doing. So now you've you, you know you had you know you had all the momentum on your side, um, you know to stop you know these crazy cops, and now people are going, oh, why are you doing this, you fucking idiot? Why you, you've just ruined it? Yeah. By being a moron. It seems crazy. Um, yeah, yeah I mean, military, you know, we're pretty diversified in the military as a whole. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's a, there's a lot of what, you know, a lot of Hispanics and, and you know, African Americans and, you know, Filipinos. I mean, the U.S. military really is a mixing ball of, of every culture because that's what the United States is made of. Um and I just find it, it's weird because when you're in that bubble, you don't see racism. You know, you show up to boot camp, everybody gets their head shaved, everybody puts on the same uniform. And then from that point on, you're all fucking equal, whether you like it or not. And, and then you just move on down your career path inside the military of whatever it is you're going to do. Um, and so I've been retired for five years and to see all this, all this stuff, I'm like, I don't know. Personally, there's a part of me that doesn't. I mean, I'm probably one of the those, one of the people that black people hate because I don't get it. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't see. I saw a lot of black people in the military advance to the highest levels. I didn't see them get you know knocked down or have issues um, making rank. I, my personal experience is, if you work hard, especially in America, you will get. You, you will get it back in return. You really will. I mean, if you work your ass off, you will get it back in return, if not fourfold. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. just, uh, it's all new for me. You know, in the military, we're probably a little sheltered. But, you yeah. know, I'm like, the civilian world, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> no, yeah, um, I've struggled with that transition as well for a while. The military to civilian world, you realize that, as you say, the rules in the military world sometimes don't apply in the civilian. And, None of it yeah. quite makes sense for the first few years. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Transitioning is it can be a uh, it can be it can be difficult if you if you're not uh, you know flexible enough. 
really is what it boils down to. Yeah. One thing um, I know we're, we're cracking on now with time. Um, one thing that I want to—it's just interesting. Um, you did some work in the the NSA, Clint. Yeah. So um, about halfway through my career, I went and uh, worked with those guys, um, and that's where you get to see like some of the most superior technology, you know, that you can think of. I mean, take. Take any 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 spy movie or anything you've ever watched that involves the NSA, and uh, you can probably multiply it by a thousand, if not a million, and that would be the real capability, right? I mean, it's scary, like scary fucking cool shit, and uh, so being exposed to, I mean, and I was only exposed to a very small portion of the capability. Mm there but it's an incredible place i mean it's it's like seven or ten times bigger than the cia you know as far as um the workforce and their capabilities and uh signature around the globe it's uh it really is pretty fascinating and cool and it's all very very techie geeky stuff but Mm -hmm. um but i kind of like that kind of stuff so it uh it was a it was a good time to be there as well you know that was still in the 2000 you know uh, 2000, 2005, 2006, 2007 timeframe. So there was a lot of stuff going on around the globe that yeah. Yeah. part of being, being with them. Yeah, what, cool. There's one thing that you mentioned in your book I'd just like to touch on just before we, we sort of start wrapping this up is the chapter where, and again, I don't know how much tongue in cheek it was or how serious you were, but the bit about the, the assassin, the assassin test. Yeah, because obviously the military cannot do assassinations, and you make that very clear in your book, just for anyone that's listening on the outside. Clint does make that very clear. But you had this incredible test, because you said that an assassin needs to have like nerves of steel, cold blood, the ability to just deal with something and move straight on. Just if you're happy to share with it with the guys that are listening and obviously we'll link it into the to the notes. What were your tests? to see if someone would be a good assassin. <laughs> oh, you're going to make me cover that. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I what, during the last part of my time in, last couple of years, um, that's where I kind of reveal the Vi- Violent Nomad was a code name that I had personally given to this program that I was trying to sell, right? I was like, here I am, I'm at the tip of the spear in the special operations world, and if there was any place that I could make this come to life, it's, you know, at that place. And uh, so I put together the Violent Nomad program, and it had a screening process, it had a training pipeline, it was based on a naked warrior concept, meaning you can take a guy, take an operator, put him through training, and on the back end of training, he comes out as an operative. And better than that, he becomes, you know, a no-shit assassin. And, but he's got the education to where he isn't relying on shiny black boxes and cool little devices. He can do it all by going overseas, going to any uh, souk or a supermarket. He can buy all the stuff he needs, put it all together and still complete the mission, right? So 
I put years, and, and a lot of this was based on my own experience going overseas and working alone, that I was like, wow, I'm getting so close to these bad guys, why don't I just fucking kill them while I'm here? But we're not allowed to do that, you know? Um, so we would do these other things where they still end up dead, but you spent gazillions more money uh, to do it when I could have just put a 9 millimeter bullet in the motherfucker's head, you know what I mean? So anyway... Uh, I build out the pipeline, build out all this stuff, and then I'd go to try and sell it to my leadership. And they fucking looked at me like I was crazy. They were like, what the? F no, get the fuck out of here, right? And that was basically the answer. But the, the thing they thought was crazy was the, the, the assessment that, uh, that you're alluding to. <laughs> so <laughs> the assessment so would have happened down at probably somewhere around Fort Bragg where – they had the special operations medical school and in the special med medical in the, in the special operations medical school, which I went through, we do everything on what's called live tissue, which is goats and pigs, you know, and you, and you practice true life-saving techniques on live animals. Their anatomy is pretty close to ours, believe it or not. So you can do a lot of the procedures and, um, and then the next time, if you have to do it on a human casualty, then, um, of course you'll probably do it correctly and probably save a life. Right. So it's good. It's good training. It's good stuff. So knowing that they have goats and all this stuff, I was like, well, hell, the assessment would be you come in business casual, you do an interview with someone, right? Hey, what's your name? Hey, I'm Clint. Okay. Da, 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 da. Nice and calm. Ask a bunch of questions. Some of them may be stress-oriented, normal interview. Um, and then they go into the next room. In the next room, there's a goat and a hammer. Okay? <laughs> you're not coming out until the goat's dead. Right? And then as soon as you're done with that, then you go into another room, and it's another interview. Hi. How are you today? Oh, I'm good. So what's your name? Well, my name is Clint. Blah, 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 blah. And you go through that interview. And then you go to the next room. And the next room is a hammer and a kitten. And then you, you know, you're not coming out until it's dead. And then you go. So the intent is, is you really do need like a highly functional sociopath with zero emotions so that you get a guy or a gal or whatever that can keep their composure no matter what they've done before or what they're about to do, right? And so there was one little, one little piece in there that, you know, they were like, uh, yeah, I think it's time for you to retire. <laughs> 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 and so I briefly described that in the book and I was like, man, I thought it would be kind of cool, but you know, not everybody's like me. <laughs> it was a, it's a tremendous chapter. I highly recommend it to anyone that's listening. The book and the chapter is, as I say, I, I couldn't work out when I was reading it. I was like, is this tongue in cheek? Is it serious? I'm going to have to ask the man. So, you never know. You never know. But that's what I'm saying here today. <laughs> I, have to, I have to say, I am extremely happy that men like you exist, Clint. Yeah, I think we'll start um, wind that. We've taken up, you know, eight minutes of your time, Clint. You've been absolutely gracious. You've been a great... Uh, a great guest to have on. Just for, as we wind it down, friend that's looking for you on social media, wants to know a bit more about you. Where can they look you up? Where can they find you? Oh, yeah. You can go to clintemerson.com 
and you see my whole ecosystem of businesses and stuff I've got going on, or just, you know, 100 Deadly Skills is my handle for on all my social media. Um, and, uh, yeah, and everybody be on the lookout for the next 100 Deadly Skills book. This one is going to be uh, phenomenal, as I, t- as I mentioned, man. Uh, it, I, will, be- uh, I will I'll buy one of those uh, to look at. Um, one thing I was going to ask you, Clint, is do you have any 100 Deadly Skills merch that I could buy? Do you have any T-shirts or 100 Deadly Skills T-shirts or anything like that? Oh, yeah. If you go yeah, to okay. yeah, violentnomad.com, you know, okay. now you know the real meaning of the Violent Nomad. But, uh, yeah, go to violentnomad.com, and you've got all kinds of apparel and stuff there. Cool. I'll go and buy a T-shirt because I like to have uh, cool T-shirts to work out in. So oh, yeah. I'll, get one, I'll get one of those. But, um <laughs> So yeah, thank you, thank you very much for your time. It was great fun. It's always nice to speak to to military men. Um, and yeah, we we you know we may speak to you again at some point in the future if you would uh, humor us. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Well, I I appreciate you guys uh, taking the time out, letting me plug some things, tell some good stories. I had a great time, and uh, yeah, I would love to get on here again with you guys in the future. So stay safe out there with all the craziness, and uh, you know. Be strong. Thanks, Thank Clint. Episode 22, Silly Goose Gang with Clint Emerson is in the can, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Yeah.